If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This Sunday and next, we will be in Ephesians chapter 2. And as you can tell, and as we learned with the kiddos leading us this morning, with, with, which by the way, y'all were getting these motions down. I saw some, some folks who had a little bit of rhythm. I like that. That was nice. A little bit of exercise and calisthenics here this morning, getting you moving. But we do begin this evening with Vacation Bible School. And the theme this year is Spark Studios. Spark Studios. With the slogan, a catchphrase, created in Christ, designed for God's purpose. And I want to say just to all of you who are serving in Vacation Bible School, thank you. I know this week is going to be hectic. Tonight through Thursday, there's lots of moving parts and lots of assignments. So thank you for serving. And for those of you who are bringing kids and grandkids and uh, maybe neighbors or friends of yours, uh, thank you for making the effort each and every evening uh, to bring kids to Vacation Bible School. I can personally attest uh, Vacation Bible School was the ministry that led to my coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I did not grow up in a believing home. Our family did not have any interaction growing up with uh, church or hearing of the Bible or hearing of the story of Jesus. And it was because my grandmother invited me and made sure I came to vacation Bible school. And that at age nine, I heard the good news of Jesus a couple times, once during my Bible school lesson and once by the pastor. And I trusted Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Bible school is a ministry to children, but it's also transformational to families. And so I just want to thank you for investing in it this week and uh, certainly want to let you know that we appreciate all the effort it takes to make that happen. Uh, The theme again is Spark Studios and the studio of the artist is the theme. That's why you see the beautiful color palette here and the paint buckets and I'm thoroughly impressed with the paintbrush. Did y'all notice this is a broom? It's a broom with the pool noodle made to look like an enormous paintbrush. This is just beautiful. The buckets of paint looking so pretty. Uh, The theme verse that happens this week with Vacation Bible School is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And I'd like us to say this verse together as we embark on the week. And maybe you'll become more familiar with it as the week unfolds. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Could you say this with me? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One more time, I think together with boldness and gusto, here we are. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. We are his handiwork. We are part of God's craftsmanship. If your mind could imagine an artist studio like Spark Studio, and this was a studio of a painter, you would see in this studio paints and paintbrushes and 
easels and canvas, and it would have paint splatter all over the floor and all over the walls. It would have all the instruments like paint brushes and color palettes ready for you to create a beautiful painting. If you were a potter, someone who worked in ceramics, your studio would have a spinning table and lumps of clay all over the place. There would be bowls and jars and vases and cups and instruments that use to design and to paint and to color all the different pottery that you were to make. I mean, if you look at the studio, it may look like chaos. It may look like a disaster zone. But to the artist, it would be the environment with which something beautiful was made. Something was crafted. Something was formed and presented. Uh, last week, I think it was actually last Friday, uh, my family and I were traveling north from Anchorage to Denali National Park. Denali is the largest peak in North America, the largest mountain at 20,000 feet. And as we were cruising up, it's about a four-hour drive, right in the middle of the highway, there is this perfect little stopping point called Telkeetna, Alaska. And Telkeetna is the tourist trap of all tourist traps. It's about halfway between Anchorage and Denali. It's also a stop on the Alaskan Railways train line. It's also where all the charter buses who are bringing the cruise ship people stop for a bathroom break. Rest their legs, stretch out, get an ice cream. And so this beautiful little town, I mean, little is, it's, it's just, it's tiny. But man, there are all these artists who have set up shop in Telkeetna. Because the one thing tourists have on a trip to Alaska is what? Money. Money to spend. Money to buy things that you buy in Alaska. And we stopped at this little town and I was out just kind of piddling around. We weren't going to spend a lot of money in Telkeetna. It was only like the second day of our trip. And so we still had a ways to go. But I popped into a few of these artist studios, these shops that they had their goods in. And you could find things that were like what tourists buy, t-shirts and caps and mugs and little trinkets. But you could also find things that artists had handcrafted. A, a purse, a bag that was made of moose skin. And the artist was standing across the table and could tell you exactly where the moose had been taken and the process with which to make this handbag. I saw knives with elk antler handles and they were these salmon knives that were specific to the area and specific to the use of the salmon runs and how you actually need to flay these fish in a way that was specific to this knife. There was furs actually, beaver furs and lynx furs and pelts of all sorts of animals. All you animal lovers, I did not buy a fur, just relax. We did not come home with a big parka, you know, it was July in Alaska. But as I spent a few minutes looking in those shops, you could see the handcrafted goods of these artists. You could see the things that they had made in their home studio or in their home workshop. And they were bringing them out before and they were intricate and they were specific and they had... 
They had the artist's touch upon them. The artist being there could tell you exactly what steps it took and what time it was involved and, and the materials that were necessary to make this piece be available. It was their handiwork. It was their craftsmanship. And it's in that analogy and that word picture that the Apostle Paul describes something very unique. It's not a piece of pottery and it's not a painting. It's not a handbag or some fur. Paul uses that exact same phrase, handicraft or workmanship, to describe that which has happened to us as believers in Christ. That God, the master and maker, has done something an artist would do in crafting and forming believers in Christ, believers in Jesus, to be a masterpiece in his world. I want you to hear the full context of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, as the process is being described, what God has done. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless the reading of his word. The Apostle Paul, the author of this letter to the Ephesians, is trying to explain to them in fuller detail what has already taken place in their life. Uh, Ephesus, the city of the Ephesians, uh, was a modern town. It's still there today. You can go and visit. It's on the coast of what is now the country of Turkey. But in the time of the Bible, it was referred to as Asia Minor. And if Ephesus was a major hub. It actually still has lots of uh, traffic from Turkey to Greece and from other parts of that 
Mediterranean region. And so Ephesus was kind of a city on the move. And in Paul's time, and even still in some ways today, the city would be lined with temples, temples to all sorts of gods. You see, the city of Ephesus had one time been controlled by the Greeks and later by the Romans. And as each group came in, they set up these massive temples to the gods that they worshipped. And so there would be on this street corner, the temple to Zeus. And on this street corner, the temple to Apollo. And on this street corner, the temple to Aphrodite. I mean, literally, it was a buffet of gods. And you could go to whatever temple you so chose. But Paul had actually come with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is one God, and his son Jesus has come to die for sinners and Give us the hope in God. And there had been a very small church birthed in Ephesus. And this is only about 30 years after Jesus lived and died. And so there is a connection to what's still happening. And there is a newness to what's taking place in Ephesus. And so when Paul goes there to bring the gospel and share with them the good news, they believe in Christ. But several years later, as he's writing to them, he's still unpacking for them that which has already happened. In this letter, he is truly explaining both their past, their present, and even a bit into their future. He's, he's giving all the details. It has already happened. They already believe. But he's still explaining what has actually transpired. He wants them to understand the full picture of what God has done, what God has performed in their life. And so he uses the analogy of craftsmanship. He uses the analogy of something being made, something being transformed, a materials coming together that were not good and out comes a product of something beautiful, a masterpiece on the other side. And he begins... By explaining to them what they were formerly. That the materials had to be made ready. That there was a a process at work in God's perfect plan that involved them. And the picture and the description that he uses is that of an imagery of something being made. And he describes it as to them as exact as he would describe it to us. That we, every one of us, are God's creation. Every one of you and I, we all have been made in the image of God. We have been made by God. He is the author and sustainer of our life. That he knits us together in our mother's womb. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God Almighty. But that every single one of us, as a living human being, walking and breathing, have a spiritual problem. We have a soul that will live forever in eternity. But even as we are made in God's image, there is something broken on the inside. And he describes it this way in verse 1. That you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Yeah, yes, we are living human beings, breathing, walking, talking, working. 
But spiritually, there is a deadness inside. There is a brokenness inside. There is something in us that is wrong. Even as we are made in God's image, there is something spiritually inside of us that is dead. And if you were honest and I were honest, we all know exactly what that is. We understand in our hearts something is wrong. We all know that there are things that we do that are not right. There are things that we want to do that we don't do and things that we do not want to do that we can't stop from doing. We're tempted in every way and there's passions and desires and things inside of us that draw us away from God and into sin. Verse three, he even includes himself in this explanation of the problem. He says, we all, he himself included, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We all live this way. We all have these passions, these desires. We all have these wants that we know are in opposition to what God wants. We are all broken. And this is sad. It's actually very sad. It's terrible news. I mean, it's not the good news, but it's the reality that all of us before Christ are dead and our trespasses and sins. But then he tells them the good news. And he again is explaining to them that which has already happened. He's explaining that which has already taken place. But he's giving a fuller explanation of that which is already in action in their lives. He says in verse 4, the good news, the gospel, the best news, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Isn't that good news? Come on, Valley Creek, isn't that good news? We were all dead, every single one of us. We were all in our sin, every single one of us. We were all controlled by the passions and the flesh and the desires of this world, every single one of us. But through Christ Jesus, and most certainly because of God's mercy and his love, even though we were dead, Christ Jesus transformed us and made us alive. We were born again. That's what it means to be born again. Not physically of flesh born again, but of spirit born again. Dead, but then made alive. Broken, but made new. Praise be to God. He is rich in love, full of mercy and grace. And it's through God's work, his craftsmanship, that all of us were once dead, but through Christ, we have been made alive. Whew. Hallelujah. And here's even the most outrageous part. Maybe even more outrageous. I'm not sure you can get more outrageous than God's love and mercy. But you did nothing to deserve it. You did nothing to be a recipient of this transformation. You didn't do anything. Everything was done for you. It says in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone, and it's not of anything we could do good. I mean, we can't be good enough. We can't be loving enough. We can't be kind enough. We can't be honest enough. We can't be fair enough or generous enough. Our works, my works, your works, our works, no matter how good we think they are, would never, ever, ever outweigh the depths of our sin and disobedience. I mean, if you imagine some mythical ladder that every good thing you did got you one step closer to God, one rung higher to God, Every one good thing you did compared to the thousands of things you did sinful and brought you downward. By our works alone, we are destined for hell apart from God. But by grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone, not of our works, a gift from God We have been transformed. We have been made new. We can't take pride in it. We can't boast in it. We can't say, look how good I am. Oh, friends, haven't you heard people at the end of their lives or in a season of suffering, they would say something like, I'm a good person. I try to do good things. I'm trying to lead a good life. And while that may be true, Our goodness or attempt at goodness would never result in eternal salvation. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 64 verse 6 that our good deeds are like filthy rags. It's by grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone, And it's a gift and it's not of our own doing. The greatest deed that was ever done on the planet, the greatest deed ever to be performed within humanity was not by a human. It wasn't by us. The greatest deed was by God granting his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come onto the face of the earth and live a sinless, holy life. And through his death, our sin, which is devastating and terrible and ridiculously heavy was all placed upon him and his gracious, loving, holy life was granted to us. It's by grace we are saved through Christ alone and it's by faith alone. It's not of our own doing. Friends, if it was up to you to save yourself by your good works, if it was up to me to save myself by my good works, we would all be destined for disaster. But praise be to God, it wasn't up to us. It was through his son, Jesus' sacrifice for us that we can be saved. Oh, he describes the materials being made ready, the materials being crafted, the materials being transformed. And this this is the news of verse 10. He says as We have been transformed and made new and shaped differently and given hope in Christ that the master crafts a masterpiece. Crafts a masterpiece for we are his workmanship. Now, translators 
don't know what to do with that word. English translators don't always come to the same conclusion. Some will say handiwork. Others will say craftsmanship, workmanship. Still others will use the word masterpiece. And I have to say, I'm slightly embarrassed to use the word masterpiece because I looked at myself in the mirror this morning. This is no masterpiece before you, friends. I mean, hair all this way and don't know which way I'm going. And... But the phrase there is not to bring pride and boasting on the craft. It's to point still glory to the craftsman, to the artist. Now, the only other time this word is used in all the New Testament is also used by Paul, and it's used in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And again, it's pointing to something miraculous that God has done. Romans 1.20 says, For his, God's, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, in his craftsmanship, in his handiwork. The only other time this word is used is in describing the creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe, the galaxies, all the beautiful things on this planet. I mean, goodness, I just spent seven days in a land of majestic mountains and beautiful rivers and streams. I mean, Alaska's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And it's all part of God's handiwork. It's all part of God's creation. It's all part of what he has made here on this earth that reflects his glory and directs us to his majesty. And Paul uses that same word, the words that were used to describe God's creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the universe and galaxies, the rivers and the mountains. He uses that same word to describe you and me. Not in our beauty, not in our good looks, not in our attractiveness, but in the work that was created in us through his son Jesus, that it's a masterpiece, that it's a miraculous, majestic work, that God has crafted something beautiful and amazing and magnificent, for we are his craftsmanship. And the reason all of this happens and the benefit of all of this work is that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the salvation that we're offered is unbelievable. The good news of God's love and mercy is unbelievable. The fact that it's not of our own doing is unbelievable. It's such a good news. It's such a miraculous news and that God has crafted and formed and shaped us into something different. And therefore, we have this purpose. We have this meaning. That God has crafted us for something. And friends, I want you to hear me. This is really important. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Watch this with me. Our good works are not the reason we are saved. The good works that you and I will ever do is a response to what God has done in our salvation. 
We don't get to God because we are good people. We don't get to God because we've done good things. We don't get to God because we are full of all these good works. The reason we are brought into God's kingdom is because of the good work, the gospel work that his son Jesus did on our behalf on the cross. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. The works that we do, the actions of kindness and benevolence and care and compassion are a response to that which God did in Christ on the cross. Are you following me? We, we are not saved because we are good people. But because we have been saved by Christ Jesus, we are called to do good things. And those good things are numerous. I mean, we can give to charities and help someone with a flat tire or a dead battery. At one of the hotels, a lady next to us had a dead battery. And man, she was cursing that rental car company up and down and sideways. She just needed a jump. Goodness, the car I had had jumper cables. Got her going. She was about to go back to the airport and give them a piece of her mind. Jumping the dead battery as a good deed has nothing to do with my salvation in Christ. Helping a lady in need with a dead battery is a response to the fact that I have been saved by Jesus and called to do good works in his name. I mean, we're going to take a mission trip as you see these bags before you and you've brought backpacks and you've brought shoes and that team is going to go. And some of you are going to serve this week in vacation Bible school. And others of you have given to relief efforts in Western Kentucky for the tornadoes. Others of you have packed a shoebox. Others of you are generous and kind and you help Clarity Solutions and you help other ministries in this area. Still others of you, you just do good things. You see someone in need, someone's going in the hospital and you take food or uh, you hear of someone that's been in a car accident and you pick up the phone or you send them a message or you do all the things that you know God has called you to do. It's those things that are not resulting in your salvation. It's those things that are a response to that which God has done for you. We have become his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The works are not what save us. The works are a response to the fact that we've been saved. Friends, it's a major difference. Many, many people in our world believe if they're good enough, that one day it will all add up and resulting in an eternity in heaven. But you can't be good enough ever. But because of what good thing has been done for you in Christ Jesus, you can shine that light and share that good news and serve people while you're here. The master crafts a masterpiece. And this masterpiece serves a greater good. A greater good. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
God has prepared something for every single one of us who have been saved, every single one of us who have followed Christ, every single one of us who have trusted him by faith. God has prepared for every single one of us good to be done in his name for his glory to reflect his praise, to be a light in this world, to have not the pride and the arrogance come our way, but for us to deflect that glory and praise God's way. I mentioned I was in those little tourist shops and I'm closing on this. I was speaking with one of the artisans who made a specific kind of knife. I had never seen a salmon knife before. I mentioned it earlier, but it's a unique piece. You know, I know knives that you fillet fish with that are thin, narrow blades, very, very thin, kind of a, something you can handle very well. But the salmon knife is actually like a crescent circle, a half-shaped moon with a big handle on the top. I'd never seen one of those before. Didn't really know what they were. I mean, so I was talking to the fella, and you'll have to know, I talk for a living. I'm a teacher. I'm a preacher. I'm a minister. I do a lot of talking. But on vacation, I'm kind of a quiet bird. Just kind of just go about my business. Don't really talk to people. My wife, if y'all know her, she talks to every human in any ability. She just has a nice conversation. But I just kind of keep to myself. But for some reason, that knife was so curious to me. I had never seen a circular blade with a handle on top that looked like something you did this with. I'd seen a dough cutter, you know, like uh, somebody's maybe making bread and you cut it with uh, a dough cutter. But why would you use that to cut fish? It made no sense to me. So I was talking to the fellow who was putting these out on display. And I was picking one up. And wouldn't you know it, one of them I picked up was a price tag of $250. I'll put that one back down. You know, you break it, you buy it. I guess it's kind of how it works there. But I couldn't believe how much they were. Very expensive. Maybe it was the handcrafted antler elk uh, or antlers, elk antlers. Maybe it was the knife. But I picked the blade and it wasn't very sharp. And so I started asking, I mean, why is it this way? And the description was, I mean, you literally couldn't cut yourself with it. Like I couldn't nick myself and couldn't do any damage if I even tried. But specifically for fish, it's meant for this intended purpose. The arcing of the blade, the way the handle is in the center, not at the end, the way it moves in this motion, it would not be so sharp to hurt you or cut you, cut your fingers, cut your arms, anything, but it's perfect for fish. And he was describing all the unique attributes to that fish blade that was specific to the purpose of filleting salmon. Friends, God has specifically designed you specifically gifted you and formed you and crafted you for a specific ministry, a specific task, specific good gifts that he has prepared beforehand. The things that you've been through, the talents you have, the skills, the abilities, the opportunities, the place you're in, the environment that you work in, the community you live in, all of it specifically designed so that you can be a masterpiece For a greater purpose. You see, you can't do enough good to be saved. But God has done something miraculous in Christ so that all can come to Him. And as we do, we are His craftsmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. That is, in summary, the Christian life in a verse. And I wonder how many of us are fulfilling that greater purpose. The master has made ready the materials. The master has certainly crafted a masterpiece. And now that masterpiece serves a greater good. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm just going to ask you to reflect for a moment. Let the message seep a little deeper. Just want to make sure that you have no misconception, no wrong thinking in believing that maybe your good deeds would ever result in your place in heaven. We are all dead in our trespasses and sin. But praise be to God. We can look to the cross. We can look to Jesus, God's perfect son, holy son, who died in our place so that we can be made alive, no longer dead, but born again. Not of flesh and bone, but of the spirit, given new life in him. And from that comes a response to be charitable and to be kind and to be full of good works, not for praise and boasting, but for God's glory and to fulfill God's purpose. So I ask right now, if you would just go before the Lord and make sure that you understand and you believe and you trust in the truths that come from this message and from this day. I want to say a prayer and if there be any decision that you need to make, any public decision, any private prayer that you need to lay before him, the altar is always open. You may pray where you're seated. I'll be here in front if you want someone to pray with you. As we move into this time of response, I pray that you would just let God lead. So Father, we come to you and I thank you all oh, for your rich love, your mercy. I thank you, God, that though we were dead and our trespasses and sin, that you sent Jesus Christ, your son, as our salvation, as the payment for our sin, so that we could be made right and be made new and be transformed and be born again into a new hope. And through that hope, we want to follow you, God, into the works that you have created us for and to the purpose that you've created us for. So Lord, I pray now, whatever the response needs to be of this day, that we would be bold, we'd be confident in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.